Hi, I'm Alon Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Well, listen, you guys, don't forget to uh, give me the, uh, the signal here so I'll know when I go on. Five seconds. Uh, I'm on now. <clears throat> From high atop the 12th Street Studios of Sigma Sound, this is DJ extraordinaire Jonathan Takeoff welcoming you all to WMMR's second in a series of super showbiz radio concerts. Serially, though, we're very pleased tonight to present one of the prime movers in the country rock insurgents that's been dominating so much of our music lately. A bunch of can kickers for city slickers. I'm referring, of course, to Chris Elman on, Hillman on bass and mandolin, Rick Roberts, rhythm guitar, Al Perkins, pedal steel, Mike Clark, drums, Bernie Ledden, lead guitar and banjo, known collectively as the Flying Burrito Brothers. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to another episode of Billy Joel A to Z. Today we hit another song off of Billy's first album, Cold Spring Harbor, entitled "Turnaround." Turnaround unceremoniously kicks off the second side of Cold Spring Harbor, which used to be a big thing in 1971. You know, kicking off a second side. Otherwise, it's the sixth track off the album recorded in July of 1971 and released on November 1st of that same year. It is the only song on the album to feature Sneaky Pete Kleinow on pedal steel guitar, which was obviously an idea of Artie the Snake Rip, of course. The snake that he is took out the steel guitar in the 1983 re-release of the album. What a horrible human being he is. Turn around was never heard of again on any Billy Joel setter collection, although it now appears on the Piano Man Legacy Edition because he performed it live at the legendary 1972 Sigma Sound Studio WMMR radio show concert. However, judging by the polite golf claps at the end of the song and now knowing Billy's very low emotional threshold if he thinks the audience isn't into something, it was probably erased from existence after that. We'll find out. We will find out. That all being said, let's go to the rankings. Christopher Bonanos in his 2015 Vulture or New York Magazine article ranked 121 songs. Where does he put this non-classic Billy Joel song off album number one? I'd say this is one of the better songs on Cold Spring Harbor. So uh, let's say he puts it somewhere in the middle-ish at 78. Well, you are way off. He hates this song, and he puts it at 103. <laughs> he puts another first album ballad, probably not worth reviving. And Glenn Gamboa hates it even more at 116 out of 124 songs. Well, we know that guy hates Billy Joel, so what's, <laughs> what's the point anymore? The fans rank it at 116 as well, I'm afraid, Alon. 
Fans are wrong too. It's a good song. It it is not a horrible song. I didn't hate it. Again, I could listen to this at the album as a whole and be okay with this song, but it is kind of funny when I heard the lyrics and I've never heard this song before. Okay. This is one of those songs I never heard before and it doesn't stick with you. I can't even remember the uh, song while I'm thinking about it now of how it goes. And I don't know how you're even going to do a parody on this. (laughs) So, but when I heard the turn around that I will sing for you a song, I was like, what the hell is this? And it's funny because I was thinking about it. And then I read Glenn Gamboa's review and he goes, it's rare to, I thought maybe I was crazy. He goes, it's rare to hear Joel sound so naive and straightforward, but turn around and I will sing for you a song just isn't enough to hang this story on. So I guess he he felt the same. Once you hear that lyric, it sticks with you because it's, it's really bad. And it's funny knowing it's his first, you know, one of his first composures. So compositions. So then you let it go, of course, but it is, it's not, it's not good. That I, I think it kind of makes sense though. Cause it's like, he, this is after a breakup and he's like, all he has to give is that he's a musician. That's like his only selling point. He's Billy Joel. He's been punched in the nose a lot. He doesn't have the prettiest face, but he's really good at singing. So he's like, Eliza, come back and I'll, I'll, I'll sing you a song. And we know that if Eliza is Elizabeth, that he did end up writing her a lot of really good songs. Yeah. I just found out that Eliza was Elizabeth and I couldn't believe we have another instance about Elizabeth Weber. I mean, this muse of his, and certainly when you see a picture of her, <laughs> the the few pictures that exist of her, you're like, come on, seriously. I mean, he must have written 30 songs about her. We only know about 15 of them. And there must be other ones we don't even know about. And I know it shouldn't be based on looks or whatever. It's just... Unfortunately, Billy Joel ended up marrying a supermodel, uh, whether it is Christy Brinkley or Al McPherson. For most of us, when you hear about a muse, it makes sense. I think about Xanadu and how Olivia Newton-John <laughs> was these people's muse. I know it's just a thing, but it's it all makes sense. You see this woman, and you're like, I don't get it. It's like that. I don't know. She just looks like Millie Helper from the Dick Van Dyke show. It's just yeah, she's spying on her neighbors. What? It's that she's spying on her neighbors. (laughs) Right. That was what that was the next door neighbor on Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, she was. You're thinking of Gladys Kravitz from Bewitched. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why I know the difference basically. (laughs) Um, You got to remember Billy Joel. He's got a you got to grade it. You got to grade it on the curve because he's a guy from Hicksville from Levittown. There weren't that many good looking women around there. So maybe Elizabeth was a, a real looker for him until he got into the wider world. And then he's like, oh, wait, there's supermodels out there. Maybe. But if you're a, mu- a, mu- a musician, I feel like that shouldn't make a difference. But he, I mean, he was in a couple of bands before he was just playing. I mean, when you could play the piano like that, there shouldn't be any issue. Obviously, he was complete. We know he was completely smitten by her anyway and took it, you know, just was like, I don't care. It's my best friend's girl. I don't whatever. This is how bad. I mean, there's stuff we just don't know about her and what she brings to the table. And you see this in relationships all the time. I just can't believe there's another song about her. I really thought we were done. His friends thought he was crazy. He's like, you don't understand. She's got a really lot of really good points. Like, for example, she has a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I guess this was written in that time period when she revealed the affair to John Small and then she kind of broke up with both of them. So this is in Billy Joel's suicide phase. And this was his chance at trying to win her back with this song. 
Well, the problem also that I have with it is in listening to it for this first time as a, again, a reveal for me, the song goes nowhere. And that has not happened in most of the Billy Joel songs that I am just becoming familiar with these earlier ver these are earlier things like street life serenade and everything most of the time a song will be do something and then being billy joel it goes to this next place this song doesn't do that which is odd for a billy joel song but of course being the first album it also makes a heck of a lot of sense yeah right we want to have like a weird bridge where all of a sudden he's singing in his frog voice or something something that brings it to another level where either i say oh my god i this is amazing or just be like, what was that all about? But there's nothing else in this. It just goes one way and you're waiting and waiting and it, it doesn't turn around. What? Now, here's my question. In the intro, you said turn around. So is the song turn around or turn around? I know. I said it differently in the intro. I thought about that myself. Meanwhile, I cannot stop thinking about the song turn around from that Bonnie Tyler. That's all I can think about. That's all that's in my head. <laughs> Turn around, bright eyes. I mean, that was going to be my trivia question related to that song. <laughs> oh, it was. I'm sorry. That's okay, well, I'll, have a, I'll have a second one. Well, I have so much information on that song because I I can't stop thinking about it because it was such a popular song. Whether you like it or not, in the 80s, it was popular. I don't know what your trivia question was, but that song has so many, what, what do you call it? It has so many insides. It has so much Billy Joel in it. I, I don't know what your trivia question was, but we are talking about, first of all, it was written by Jim Steinman, who we know, you know did all of Meatloaf stuff. So it's a kind of an epic meatloaf-like song. Yeah, big theatrical moments. Right. Jim Steinman's from Long Island. That he, almost rhymes. <laughs> Steinman from Long Island. He, it, apparently this was part of his 1969 college musical, and it was seven minutes and two seconds. He cut it to 4.30. <laughs> the Entertainer. Not to 3.05. Do you know that this video, do you know what I'm going to say? No. The video... Turn Around, of Total Eclipse of the Heart, which is actually the name of the song, I believe, is directed by Russell Mulcahy. Mulcahy. Oh. Okay? We know that he directed a bunch of Billy Joel videos. And the dude that sings kind of the, the, the backing vocals in this song with Bonnie Tyler, his name is Rory Dodd, appears on Innocent Man. Really? Yeah. So there's all these connections 
to that song that I think really might be in everybody's head, unless it's just crazy me. When I saw the word turnaround, I just keep the turn around. That's all I can think about. I can't think of the melody of this song before I think of that song. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole, found all these Billy Joel connections to this song, the strange, strange connections to this song about Billy Joel and Jim Steinem and Steinman. So here's the real question then. Um, if Russell Mulcahy, whatever his name is, directed this video, was there a situation where someone turned around twice, a.k.a. a double take? Oh, my God. We've got to look at that video and find out if that's the case. Oh, my God. Nice. We got to find that out. If there's any time to do it, it's that song. And if he didn't do it, <laughs> then we know that Billy Joel was the one who said, hey, what if I do my head thing? Right. It's I can't believe that that song is so interesting. It was. It was this guy, Rory Dodd, who appears as, for backing vocals on a lot of the Innocent Man songs. I guess that's what he did. He sang it first for Bonnie Tyler to see if she liked it or not. How is she not going to like it? We never heard of her before. We only know this. Song. Well, I don't know, guys. I mean, Jesus, who the yeah. hell is she? How dare she? She's Welsh. <laughs> what are some of the lyrics in this uh, Billy Joel turnaround song? Uh, well, the ones that I like. Uh, is um I like this one line when he says, well, I like the whole Oh, Eliza verse. I like when Billy Joel brings in a name. I think that's really fun. Oh, Eliza, you must begin again. All the roads that you've walked are coming to an end. And then this line I like, I was your lover, but I thought I was your friend. I loved you, but I thought I was your friend. I like how he changed it from I was your lover to then the next line, I loved you. I think it's weird that he used, because I noticed this right away, must begin again. And on the same album, has got to begin again. Yeah. Is that like a reference maybe to his other song? And also this song he mentions was inspired by James Taylor, probably by the song Fire and Rain. And I think Got to Begin Again also in the intro to it sounds kind of like Fire and Rain inspired it as well. Mm. Yes, there are a little similar. I guess he didn't have a lot going on. He's just uh, all, all the songs. Could, maybe all the songs flow into each other like the River of Dreams. Then he got bookends. Yeah, and also, speaking of River of Dreams and so many other Billy Joel songs, this one also has some Body of Water reference. In the last verse, he says, Oh, sweet lady, stand beside the sea. Every time you say it, it sounds like Jerry Lewis. Oh, sweet lady. Sweet lady. <laughs> Here's what I don't understand. Well, first of all, the live version for MMR, I guess, which I think is the only available live version, is a little bit more fun, but not by much. And... The weird part is the original pressing, the original 1971 album before Artie Rip got his hands on it is hilarious because the instruments completely drown him out. Yeah, right. That steel pedal or what are they called? The pedal the sneaky, steel guitar. The sneaky Pete character guy. The sneaky yeah. Pete pedal steel guitar um, is like mixed pretty loud in that. And like, you yeah. really hear it so prominent. But then they completely take it out in the other version, right? They just take out the instrument itself. Yeah. I think it's it's maybe it's mixed super low. I can kind of hear it a little bit in some spots, but basically they redid the whole thing to make it sound probably more modern. And no wonder he's angry because this is something I didn't know until the last song we did uh, from Cold Spring Harbor, which was a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember what it was. Um, could it have been the tomorrow is today? Tomorrow or? is today. Is that that's Cold Spring Harbor? Yeah. Right. So I had no idea that the 1983 pressing of Cold Spring Harbor, unfortunately by Artie Rip, changed the instruments. I thought they only, uh, not sped it up, uh, slowed it down 
So it was, I didn't know he changed a whole bunch of instrumentation. So these two episodes have kind of floored me. No wonder Billy Joel is just angry at this entire album. Cause I didn't realize not only did he get screwed once by the speed of the album, but then he gets screwed again 13 years later or so by it still not being what he planned on it being. Yeah, it's just classic Artie Rip digging the needle in deeper. Really? And, you know, what I thought was interesting about this one in the remix in 1983 is that it actually became shorter. Because <laughs> we always know that like the songs in 71 were mixed too quickly and the whole album was like really short because right. everything was sped up. And the 71 version was like 327 or something like that. It has a long outro. And the one in 83, they cut a lot of that outro. So it's only like 304. Wow. 304. Almost the perfect length. They couldn't have just made it one second. See, he screwed him in that way, too. Yeah. He's like, let me at least give me my one 305 song. Yeah. I guess the question is, you said we'll talk about this later. You, You know of some time when he's played this live besides that. 1970? Yeah, apparently he's played it twice. So one of them is the Sigma Sound Studio uh, right. recording that we have. And then the other one, which I can't find any audio or video of, but apparently in Sydney, Australia in 1987. Oh. Um, which means maybe our friend Joel Osborne might have been at this concert. Uh, apparently Billy Joel played this song in the middle of the set list. And I, I really, I'm sure it exists somewhere out there. Maybe some super fan can send us a, an audio clip of that. Wow. That's odd. Just out of nowhere. He's like, I'm going to turn around tonight, fellas. <laughs> yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. I wonder what the band said. 87, right? 87. And when did the uh, total eclipse of the heart come out in 84? That's from 83. Well, maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. It's the only thing I can think of. Why all of a sudden in 87 would he? I have a song also with the word turnaround. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, maybe it became really big in Australia like four years later. So he's like, oh, you know, that hit you guys all finally got. Well, Check out my I, version. I kind of wrote it. Kind of. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, I'm, I'm suing Jim Steinman right now, actually, for ripping off my lyrics. Maybe it does have something to do if he's just coming off the Innocent Man album and then that came out and that guy sings on the Innocent Man album and he's coming off a hit of this. Maybe maybe that had something to do with it. This Rory Dodd character. It's really strange. I'm trying to think also because in the 80s, he didn't really like doing a lot of his Elizabeth songs because he was still kind of pissed off about the divorce. That's a good point, too. I wonder what made him sing it in Australia of all places. Maybe he got a letter once in 1972 from like one Australian fan who was like, I love your song, turn around. <laughs> and that just did. Well, then we should write him a letter and be like, we really like December song. Hello, could you? It would be, be great a- if you could play December song for us, our favorite Please, month. <laughs> We'd like some more <laughs> deep cuts. <laughs> More deep cuts, please. <laughs> well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? I got one for you. I got one, but I think I worded it to where you can get it. I mean, normally you'd never be able to get this, but I think I worded it the correct way, even though you're a little young. So not only did Eddie Murphy fight Joe Piscopo over who introduces Billy Joel when he was the musical guest on SNL that time, but Eddie Murphy also made a fictional TV character uber famous during his time on SNL that, as it turns out, 
Sneaky Pete Klein now wrote the theme song to just before recording this song. Who is it? Okay, so this would have been one of my other backup trivia questions. Uh, and I was hoping you would see this because it's so you. Uh, apparently, Sneaky Pete wrote the theme song to Gumby. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> I'm Gumby, damn it. And then you're going to be sorry because I'm Gumby, damn it. Cut! Cut! Who told you to say damn it, damn it? <laughs> Who told you to say damn it? Did I tell you to say damn it? I, I thought it would be truer to the character. Hey, who's directing this picture? Me. Who wrote this picture? Me. This is the Gumby story, damn it. And Gumby does not say damn it. The line is, I am Gumby by gum. All right? <laughs> And not only that, he also was one of the animators on Gumby. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. Isn't that interesting? Like he went to school for like claymation or whatever the heck. And he was a very talented guy. He was a little sneaky. Yeah. He has a hand in everything. I think that's where he got his name. You are one sneaky dude, Sneaky Pete Klein now. Sneaky Pete. How'd you sneak <laughs> that, that pedal steel guitar in here under your shirt? That gigantic thing. <laughs> Well, do you have a trivia question for me? Okay, yeah. So I still have two things. They're not that you've been you've taken all the good ones. Here's one thing: it's not trivia question, but another little sneaky Pete fact. He was apparently an original member of the Flying Burrito Brothers, which is one of those groups that like you always hear the name of, but I don't know that I could ever name a song of theirs or if they were even good. But from like the late '60s, when everyone had funny names, right? That was one of the funniest. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know one of their songs either. I mean, maybe if we played it, we'd know it, but I have no idea. Yeah, it's just like you look at those old posters from like festivals in the 60s and it's like, oh, the, the Flying Burrito Brothers and, uh, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival and Jefferson Airplane. I, I can only think when I hear the Flying Burrito Brothers of those, whatever that Seinfeld went to see and they took his jacket. Weren't they the Kazimov brother, the Flying Kazimov? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the acrobat like. So that's all I was thinking of. What's <laughs> okay. your other question? Okay, so here's uh, here's my, my easy one, maybe. On Cold Spring Harbor... There are actually two songs with turn in the title. What's the other one? Have we done it yet? Yes. I, I can't. I don't know. I mean, I could obviously look it up, but I, I don't want to. All right. It's Nocturne. Oh, come on. <laughs> Sitting there racking my brain. I'm like, geez, I, uh, I've been getting really good at remembering these songs, but uh, I can't think of one thing that had another turn in it. That's not fair. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's, here's another one. And this is actually was going to be my trivia question about Total Eclipse of the Heart. So you didn't ruin it, uh, although you talked about a lot of the parts of it, but that's okay. So Total Eclipse of the Heart went to number one in 1983. What other song written by Jim Steinman was kept out of number one and only made it to number two? Because of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Well, was it a Meatloaf song? It was not Meatloaf. Mm. It was not Bonnie Tyler. Right. No, I know it wasn't Bonnie Tyler. So you had another one on the charts back then. Not Meatloaf. I mean, I think he only did Meatloaf, Bonnie Tyler, and I guess whoever uh, you're going to say. 
it's not air supply, right? It wasn't. It's an air reason. supply song. Oh, it is. Yeah. How do you get? Is to it that? making love from nothing at all? Yeah, making love out of nothing at all. Out of nothing at all. Oh well. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. So how how did you deduce that? I don't I don't know I I I don't know I must have I must have seen it somewhere because how could I have possibly deduce that I didn't look it up or anything I mean I was just yeah but you're like a library of weird eighties facts so I feel like exactly. you back in your mind and thought what were was a big hit in eighty three so I must have read and what about sounded the, like a Jim Steinman song well exactly that's where where it happened so I was thinking of I guess I must have seen Air Supply written somewhere and then I wasn't sure which episode I was thinking about that and then when i thought of making love or out of nothing at all i said that is a steinman song for sure it's not even a proper air supply song because they stink <laughs> yeah it was a, the rare good one right because it's an he just wrote what would you call them jim steinman uh like op like rock operas <laughs> he didn't write yeah. normal songs everything had a sense of urgency to it they were real vocal cool. show off songs. I mean, that meatloaf album is unbelievable. That first one. And that's just all Jim Stein. Yeah, it's awesome. It's his masterpiece. But if you can't top it, are you that good? If you can't come up with another another one like that's decent. I mean, I know he came out with Bad Out Hell, too, but it's had one song. Yeah, but that's meatloaf's okay. problem. I feel like Steinman proved himself by being able to write songs for other people, too. That also did really well. Yeah, that's true. Good point. All right. Well done. And now I have to ask you, I go back to where we began the podcast. How could you possibly have a parody for this song? I don't even remember the melody. Yes. Well, I can do it because I am Weird Alon and this is my job. That is true. So a parody for Turn Around is called Lost and Found. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> that sounds okay. All right. That's the first one. I Okay. All right. Not horrible at all. <laughs> Oh, sunglasses, a watch, a magazine. You left them here and they were brought down to me. If you come back, you can look around and see. Cause maybe someone turned in your keys. Lost and found, lost and found. We've got a box of your stuff. I don't know how you left without your right-handed glove. Your glove. <laughs> forget the last part. <laughs> I got to forget that whole thing. <laughs> I wanted to do the outro where he gets high. I think I'd prefer if you just like lost and found every now and then I lose a so that I don't know. I'd prefer yeah. that parody instead. Lost and found every now and then I lose a glove or a watch or my best sunglasses. Lost and found. And found. <laughs> I can't believe I left without my scarf. It is really, really cold outside. <laughs> Okay, is everybody in his place and ready to tape the opening bars? Ready. Well, folks, that was Turn Around. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Would you have preferred us to talk about Total Eclipse of the Heart instead? I think we did anyway. 
Yeah, we kind of did for half the episode. <laughs> Are you upset that Eliza turned out to be Elizabeth? Oh, I was so angry when I heard that. Are you also upset that Sneaky Pete left the lucrative animation business to go into music? I bet his parents were. <laughs> and can you name any Flying Burrito Brothers songs? No one can. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z.